Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Lime Ninja Radio. I am your host, McKay Rippey. Why are you laughing at me? Because of that pause. It was a dramatic pause. Was it? I'm trying to keep people engaged and interested in the show so they don't turn it off in like the first five seconds. It sounded like you forgot your name for a second is how it sounded. Oh. Well, then I'm trying to relate to all the people with brain fog out there. Like me. Like I you. Can, I can I do that sometimes. But you don't have brain fog, do you? Uh, Not like serious Lyme brain fog, though. You don't have Lyme disease. No, I, well, I hope I don't have Lyme disease. My daughter now is informing me she has Lyme's disease. <laughs> anyway, where were we? Yes, episode 51 of Dramatic Pause, Lyme Ninja Radio. I'm here with my producer. <laughs> And daughter. Maybe too much dramatic pause there. <laughs> and daughter, Aurora. And we are here. She's She came back from Cooperstown. Yay. Yay. The remote studio was okay, but the sound wasn't the best. No, no. Nothing like being right here in the studio, right? Yep, with the microphone that works and everything. It sure does. Yep. We are excited to have this week as our guest, Katina Macris who everybody knows in the Lyme disease world. She's an author, she hosts a radio show, and she speaks really all over the country. And she will be touring most of the country coming up very soon with the release of her new book. And the new book is called, hang on, it's called, I'm scrolling, scrolling, yes, Autoimmune Illness and Lyme Disease Recovery. And it will be published, it's going live on the 18th of August. And we were lucky enough to get her interview with her before this is all happening so make sure you check out her webpage her schedules up there she mentions a few date at the end of the show at the end of our interview and go ahead and get out there buy her book get it autographed with you with her get your picture taken she's a lovely woman and really has an incredible story to share Katina is a graduate of Duke University and the Still Point School of Integrative Life Healing. After five years of misdiagnosis and five more years of treatments, Katina has overcome chronic Lyme disease. She is on a nationwide Lyme awareness campaign with her recovery memoir and guide, Out of the Woods, Healing Lyme Disease, Body, Mind, and Spirit an award finalist for the 2011 Best Book in Health with USA Book News and winner of 50 Authors You Should Be Reading by the Authors Show. She was asked to host a live weekly radio show with 300-station worldwide syndicate, Lime Light Radio with Katina Macris, which launched in June 2013. She is currently a board member of Be Tick Ready, a Lime education group, The host of Limelight Radio with Katina on WBLQ 1230 AM, Westerly, Rhode Island, which is partnered with the Dr. Pat Show. She also works as a spiritual healer and a Lyme disease counselor. Thanks, Aurora. And here's Katina. Well, first of all, you've got a new book coming out, and you're crazy. Isn't one enough? I know. I Well, the publisher's crazy. Oh, uh, okay. I said to them... You know, when, when we signed to a re-release out of the woods with an updated version, 
wonderful, beautiful. And then they said, oh, what are you working on? And I told them, and they said, oh, can you have it done in nine months? And I said, no. <laughs> and then they said, how about a year? And I said, oh, maybe a year. Well, that was the craziest thing I ever did. No kidding. When it's, when do you so, find time? What's your process? When do you find time to write? Because you're a busy middle, woman. I know, middle of the night. I write, um... I write in the night. I write from like 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. in the morning. Wow. I know. It's really crazy. Um, and then and then I have a really busy day. I have, you know, clients and emails and road, on the road and radio shows. And it's, um, I'm, it's not going to last forever, though. I, I got this book done, and now I'm just going to take a break from, from writing. <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. Now, the title of this book is about Lyme and autoimmune disease. What's the the, exact title? The title is um, Autoimmune Illness and Lyme Disease Recovery Guide, Mending Body, Mind, and Spirit. And we can talk about it. It basically is the crossover misdiagnosis with Lyme and autoimmune diseases. Yeah, there's got to be a gazillion out there. It is. There's a huge, huge um, interrelationship between it all. And um, uh, Dr. Horowitz was kind enough to proof that section of the book with me. So there's some really, really modern information in there. Yeah, he's he's quite the resource, isn't he? Oh, he's brilliant. He's brilliant and um, hardworking. And so anyway, it's a great book. We can talk about it if you like, because it also, I frame what's gone wrong with our healthcare system what I call a dashboard light doctor. And, uh, and, <laughs> they reach and, covering, putting tape over the, the dashboard light? Dashboard light. You got a dashboard light symptom, they can address it, but anything that's not a dashboard light symptom, you're in trouble, uh, and we don't have good integrated medicine. We're the only Western culture that does not. So, I mean, we can talk about this if you like. Um, we're talking about it. Want. Yeah, no, we're talking about it. Let's go. Okay. Like, so, so how how did we get there? Because I agree with you know we're t- preaching to the choir, you and I. But how how did we get there? I mean, oh. doctors used to have some freedom where they could be a little bit curious and explore things, and if something wasn't going right, they could they could treat off off book, so to speak, off the the protocols and not get in trouble. And now, left and right, they're getting hauled before boards. It's awful. Yeah. Okay. So let me back us up a little bit. Um, okay. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the history of our healthcare system in the United States, and then it'll help frame it a little bit. So, you know, you go back a hundred years to the turn of the 19th century, and at that point in time, we had um, a really kind of a ragtag healthcare system. If you think about it, the country was still new; it was like 150 years old. We had a lot of midwives and uh, natural medicine was the, was the forte. I mean, herbs were passed down from generations. They came from European knowledge. They had Native American knowledge, herbal medicine, and um, you know that was the mainstay of healthcare. Along, you know, with just uh, you know common horse sense knowledge. You know about how to lance a boil, or you know, just you know basic you know how to. And we also developed, at that point in time, homeopathic medicine came from Europe. Um, Homeopathic medicine is my forte. It's 
the infinitesimal doses of substances from nature, mostly plant-based, some mineral, some animal-based, very diluted dosages that are used to treat what we call likes treat like. So allergy shots and vaccinations were borrowed from the homeopathic principle. So, you know, an example would be poison ivy. You would actually take tiny, tiny diluted amounts to stimulate the body from the inside to address this acute dermatitis condition. Um, another example would be taking red onion in diluted form. It's called Allium Sipa, which we would use for colds or allergies, etc. So homeopathic medicine actually was the first medical organization in the country, 1864, the American Homeopathic Association. The frontier wagons went across America with homeopathic kits on board. Wonderful discipline to use for a lot of self-help, you know, influenza, dysentery, bee stings, childbirth. And then the American Medical Association was formed um, about eight years later, and those doctors in those days, they used, you know, morphine and arsenic and mercury and, you know, those were the medicines they had. They hadn't really, you know, they didn't have too much in their tool bag. The Civil War came and a lot of what we had were lay practitioners, doctors that were trained at the knee of a Civil War doctor or nurses, et cetera. So... America in the late 1800s was, you know, not very regulated. And as we rounded into the 1900s, we had mesmers who were used magnets. And right. we had eclectic physicians, which are what we would call naturopaths today. They used herbals and diet and, and hydrotherapy. And, you know, um, they, you know, were, were a practicing body. And we had our homeopaths, and, and then what happened in the 1920s, if you think about it, that was the advent of, like, the circuses that traveled the country, and we had the snake oil salesmen, and people had their elixirs and formulas that they'd peddle on the street. So you look at the old magazines and newspapers, and you can see, like, you know, these different potions. Yeah, cocaine. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, cocaine was in was like in Coca Cola, but was also in drugs. And they had like opium was like in a lot of medicines. It was like a mainstay. Um, you know, it was diluted was a big medicine that they used for migraines, and you name it. Opium was like a big, you know, mainstay of a lot of those formulas. So hmm. I'm giving you this all kind of like you know a little bit of history because. What happens is that we have, like, all of these people that are on, you know, mercury, arsenic, opium, or they have these, like, elixirs that have no patents on them. They're just mostly alcohol with a few herbs thrown in. So they've got to, like, get a grip on it. So they hire the Federal uh, Drug Association, FDA, was formed. And okay. they, it was a wise choice. They had to patent these things, and they had to clean up a lot of the, you know, sideshow guys that were, like, peddling these elixirs and, like, let's get some pharmaceutical, like, structure here. So pharmacists got licensed, and um, they started uh, this serious project. They hired a man named Abraham Flexner, who um, went around and he examined the homeopathic, the medical, the, the eclectic uh, hospitals, and um, schools to really like clean it up because some of these places were unsanitary. It's like post-Civil War, 
and, you know, typhus is still outbreaking, and we still have, like, tuberculosis, and so he People, closed. Yeah, he the closed. Pre- doctors were just starting to wash their hands, right? Yeah, right. They were just it's starting cr- to wash their hands. Babies yeah, were crazy. still delivered at home. Babies were delivered at home. And so, you know, they needed to clean it up. It was, like, you know, not running water in, like, half of America. There was not indoor plumbing, like, in the 1920s, so... There's still open sewage in some of the streets, like in out west, you know. Yeah. And so it is. It was an important time. I mean, they had to, you know, really clean the things up. But Flexner had a lot of power, and he closed down all the homeopathic hospitals except one, which was the Hahnemann Hospital in Philadelphia. He closed down all the eclectic schools, which were the naturopaths. And he basically kind of got, you know, buddy-buddy with the new pharmaceutical industry, which had just invented, well, aspirin had been around for a bit, but they just invented penicillin, and they just invented cortisone, which were miracle drugs. I'm not going to dismiss that. They were miracle drugs. They were saving lives. People that had blood poisoning, gangrene, pneumonia, they died in those days, you know? It was very little... Very little hope, and here we are, like post World War One, and you know, so these are miracle drugs, and so all of these, you know, other disciplines seemed old-fashioned and outdated. The only thing I can say is, thank God for the Rockefellers. They were they were proponents of homeopathic medicine, and they got it licensed as FDA approved over the counter. So that's why uh, we could we can still to this very day get homeopathic remedies in like the little blue tubes in your health yep. store. Yeah, of course. Because they were that was Rockefeller saved it, and so we went into this age. You know, you get into World War II, and you can see how the new antibiotics were saving these soldiers' lives. They would have been yeah. dead a lot. It was of them. miraculous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Miraculous, and I can see why people kind of got all you know very much you know caught up in this. So then we come home from World War II, and they've really, you know, we've got a huge situation with the polio, right? Yep. And polio starts raging in the late 40s and the early 50s, and we had, you know, already developed a few vaccines. They had developed a smallpox vaccine, and then they came along diphtheria was another thing that wiped out a lot of people in the 20s. And, um, you know, so now they developed a few vaccines. So we got diphtheria, we've got, um, we've got smallpox, and then the big breakthrough was that polio vaccine. Mm-hmm. So here we are now in the 1950s. America's becoming a very modern place, like upright vacuum cleaners, electric washing machines. <laughs> um, the ovens. Uh, ovens, <laughs> ovens. Yeah. Um, hey, you know what? You don't have to eat fruit out of season now because we've got a big, like, train industry that's shipping produce across America. We've got a meat packing industry that's bringing in meat from Chicago, you know, from the big meat packing industry to bring meat in. You know, so people yeah. are now just not eating local. They could have a diet that was diversified. They didn't have to just have a root cellar. So, I mean, when you look at America, like, in the 1950s, it was changing rapidly. And, I mean, part of it was that post-World War boom, which was an exciting time, and we got suburbia, and people got to have homes and cars, and, I mean, it was, you know, a prosperous time, but at the same time, we also got doctoring, 
with these new doctors, they were no longer the doctors that were trained in 1910 and 1920. The new doctors were only trained in pharmacology. Right. They were no longer trained in the herbs and nutrition. So, I mean, I remember as a little girl, my family physician was an old-fashioned family physician, like, from prior to that, and we did not get vaccinated. It, you know, we only got smallpox, and then it was like polio. That was it. And um, so, you you know, you, you look at it, and you watch, and you see, and as the decades unfurl, you know, the pharmaceutical companies were working very hard. They, you know, they, cortisone was, you know, the first of the steroids, and then they got prednisone. And then from there, you know, things just kept going, and the, and the pharmaceutical industry became front and center in terms of modern medicine. And there were huge breakthroughs when you look at it in terms of diagnostics and understanding heart disease and you know, what's going on with ulcerative colitis. You know, remember when H. pylori was finally figured out about 20 years ago? Absolutely. That that was a big thing when they figured out, you know, what was going on like that with, you know, so there's been a lot of breakthroughs. I mean, the 1900s, the latter half of the century, like diagnostics have been tremendous. And the surgical procedures to, you know, change heart valves and, clean up, you know, uh, carotid arteries, and, uh, you know, I broke my back in a bad horseback accident, and thank God for my surgeon who, you know, saved me from being paralyzed. I mean, I'm not taking away um, some of these, you know, really, really important pieces of, of, of modern medicine in our USA, you know, society. However, right, so where did it, yes, where did it go wrong? However, we got into compartmentalized medicine. If you think about it, around the late 70s, because I was in pre-med at Duke University, I was going to become an endocrinologist, I had a big wake-up call when I realized that the GP was basically evaporating and that you were getting farmed out, you know, a gastroenterologist or a neurologist, you know, or a cardiologist. It was no longer the doctor that had the just, you know, the big lens who could just manage a lot of our basic healthcare needs, and they right. became very dependent on, oh, take this medicine, oh, take that medicine, and the horse sense that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, kind of disappeared and it was what I consider I still consider it a bit of a dark age even though we've had really huge scientific advancement it's taken really the last 30 years for nature paths to come back for chiropractors to become main and center my uncle who was a chiropractor in the 60s couldn't put a shingle out he had to practice like secret no so way. We've, um, you know, we've watched acupuncture, thank God, you know, get certified and licensed. And we're watching slowly, 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 every decade, uh, a piece of what it was formerly called alternative medicine, but finally is now becoming called integrative medicine. We've found these disciplines. It's taken close to 100 years for them to find their way back into right. modern um, America's healthcare system. But as a result, um, during these times, we've had an explosion of chronic disease. And the autoimmune illness 
spectrum in particular has skyrocketed. 50 million Americans are diagnosed with autoimmune illnesses, and they range from diabetes to fibromyalgia to MS to myasthenia gravis to chronic fatigue syndrome. And I can't help but think there's so many factors that come into this. I mean, some of it is our food chain. Some of it is, you know, toxins that are, you know, we're exposed to, like, Roundup, which is a pesticide, to uh, the mercury and the fillings of our teeth and the mercury and the vaccinations of so many children gone. And the fish. And the fish. And then, you know, lead and the paint and the pipes and the copper. We get into heavy metals. We get into mold exposures. I mean, there's a lot of pieces that, you know, fit into this jigsaw puzzle that compromise an immune system. And then we add in the current... Dr. Klinghardt out in in, um, in Seattle talks about this a lot, is the electromagnetic field that we're all exposed to now. Right. It, it was, first it was microwaves and televisions and computers, but now it's cell phones and the big towers. Yep. And that as human beings, our vibrational fields are supposed to be akin to the earth. And if you know, if you spend a lot of time camping or hanging out outdoors or kayaking or something, yep, you know, good. you're good. You mellow out, right? You like yeah. calm down, yeah. and you kind of, yeah, you relax, and you kind of doze off and take a nice little nap. And but we're really like kind of accelerated with this pace. So you add it all up, and um, it doesn't. It just the picture is not fitting together. And and I ha- and this is my expression I use a lot when I'm out on the road speaking uh, about Lyme disease, which as you know is is my passion because I. I was so decimated by it and making a full recovery. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines. I, I, I want this epidemic to be stopped, but um, right. I use this expression a lot that Lyme disease is the infectious illness of our era. It is the infectious illness of the 21st century. And it, it asks us to unite the two hands of healthcare. It asks us to take the scientific diagnostic tools and the, pharmaceutical weaponry of traditional Western medicine and unite it with the restorative therapeutics of natural medicine because two hands working together are better than one. And um, and, and the United States is the only Western culture that I am aware of that does not have a strong integrative healthcare system. And um, Canada has naturopaths. Europe has so many, um, you know, health and wellness centers. Germany is known for them. France, England, Italy have homeopaths. Their doctors are trained in homeopathic medicine and in herbal medicine. So it's time. America's got to wake up. And I think the Lyme disease and autoimmune crisis is, is screaming out for it because drug dependency is not, is not going to make you well. You're just going to be dependent. And all the restoratives, detoxification protocols, herbal support, nutritional support. Um, This is needed, and that's where our functional medicine docs and our uh, naturopathic physicians and our acupuncturists and our homeopaths, we need them. We need them. We need them all under one roof, and we need them working on Lyme disease, and we need them working with all the autoimmune conditions. So the dashboard light doctor... (laughs) Um, the dashboard light doctor, I use that expression a lot. They're they're great at heart attack, stroke, um, Crohn's disease, um, asthma, 
broken bone, like, you know, the very obvious symptom that is, right. you know, dashboard light, you know, they're great at that, but yep. we need, we need the integrated medicine for all the chronic illnesses. So I know that was a mouthful, but I hope I answered your question. You sure did. I don't think you breathe the whole time. I'm very impressed. so where does here's a so this is a softball question because i know this is on your website where does spiritual healing come in with all this and what what is spiritual healing oh that's a beautiful question thank you for asking that um well when i was so ill with lyme disease um and uh for the listeners that are new to me and my story i um was a homeopath. I lived in rural New Hampshire. I was eating organic food for 20 years before it was hip. Um, I took great care of myself. I meditated. I did yoga. I lived kind of really outdoors barefoot with my, you know, border collie and chickens. And, um, you know, we that had explains your great skin. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> right. My, I kind of had a perpetual suntan and, um, Beautiful lifestyle, and I got sick one summer with a wicked flu that had horrible vertigo and terrible, terrible headache and neck pain and chills, and I thought, oh, I'll pull out of this. I'll take my echinacea and zinc and homeopathic remedy, and I should bounce out of it, and cut to the chase. This was the year 2000. Um, it was a Lyme disease infection, but no one even thought to check, test me. Right. And that whole summer, I was basically bedridden and very sick. I had, you know, all kinds of heart palpitations and anxiety attacks and night sweats. And, you know, now that we know about Lyme disease, it was pretty classic. Yes. Um, and that whole winter, I couldn't rally. I had to really, it was tragic for me because I had a beautiful homeopathic practice. I had sat on the national border with the exam. Um, I had to pass my clientele off the homeopath out of state. And five years, I just dissipated. Year after year, I just sicker and sicker till I was bed bound and in a wheelchair at year five. And um, I lost it all. I lost my career, my income. I lost my marriage. I lost my home. I lost my financial savings. My, my family was splintered. My children were back and forth between two houses. And emotionally, I was a wreck. I, I, my heart was just so broken and my, my spirit just had given up because I did, no one had any answers. I'd been in and out of all kinds of hospitals and doctors and thousands of dollars. And emotionally and spiritually, I, I had no will. I had no reason to believe that I could live. Sometimes I thought I would die in my sleep. Uh, I couldn't make a sandwich. I couldn't get to the bathroom without help. I couldn't shower. Someone had to wash my hair. I mean, you know these stories with Lyme disease. I was just completely decimated. And when we finally got a diagnosis, which came from a brilliant PhD clinical nutritionist, and we started my journey towards healing, I was about two years into the process, and I was making strides, and I was coming along. It was slow, but I was I was mending. I I realized, you know, how do you mend a broken spirit? Like, how, how do I break? How do I get out of all this heartbreak? I yeah, like, yeah. I, how do I believe that that I'll ever, you know, make it to you know a party again, or go dancing, or or, or climb a mountain, or 
or, you know, even like, you know, just be able to do, you know, some of the basic things that everyone enjoys. And I used to be an athlete and could I ever do any of it again? And I just, I did, I had such little hope. And, you know, as I said, my spirit was just so low and, but I didn't know. No one, I didn't know, I Googled breaking, how do you mend a broken spirit? Like, you know, I, I didn't know. And I wasn't part of a church. Um, maybe if I had a good priest or a rabbi or somebody that was close to, I was a spiritually a connected person, but I, I didn't have, you know, somebody like that to turn to. I had a very no wise, guidance. Yeah. No guidance, and I yeah. found uh, through blessings, through serendipity, through whatever you want to say, a spiritual healer, a very gifted woman, actually up here in New Hampshire, went to one of her weekend retreats, and um, it was it was the thing I needed. She um, was very, very sensitive, fine, intuitive woman who'd been working for years at the spiritual level. And she understood about these ancient practices that we all know, but we forget about, about prayer and affirmation and belief statements and intentions and how to access your creativity and what do we do with our heart wounds? Where do we put those wounds? And, you know, I, I came out of that weekend feeling so understood and so validated. And she also left me with some tools that I could use. Like I set my own affirmation of belief uh, for my future and and I visited my heart chakra and I and I saw what was inside my heart through these guided visualizations that she took us on and I I saw I actually saw my heart on the inside and um, it was very powerful for me. And when I left she said to me, you know, Katina she said, um, I know you're a homeopath of many years, and I know you've been sick quite some time, and, and I see how beautiful you're mending. She says, but I'd like to suggest to you that you think about coming to my still point school, because you have, you, are, you have a lot of intuition, and you have great insight. And she says, I think you would be a beautiful spiritual healer. And I was like, really? Me? Me? Like, I'm broken. No, how can it be me? And she says, no, no, dear heart. She says, you, you're you on the path. You're on the path to healing, and you're doing a beautiful job. And I, I want to encourage you. She said, you have beautiful gifts that I, I want to help you nurture and develop. And I didn't believe it, you know, that that I could I could become a spiritual healer. So I went home, um, and I thought about this because I was just on my little air mat, you know, I was so fragile, I couldn't drive a car yet, and, well, I, I bit on that little, you know, nugget that she gave me, uh-huh. and uh, I held on to it so tight, I was like, oh my gosh, maybe she's right, maybe maybe there is something for me in this, and lo and behold, um, six months later, we found the resources financially and a scholarship, and I attended the training, and um, I came out as a certified spiritual healer, and now that's a big part of my work. I work all the time with people, whether it's Lyme disease or chronic illness or the autoimmune spectrum. I I work all the time with people that are suffering the way I did, and she trained me. I know now how to read people's energy fields, which we call chakras. Um, I know how to work at that level of energetic 
medicine and um, intuitive knowledge and, and how to access the spirit and, and how to gain knowledge and insight and to use our inner healing tools. We were given these tools. We were given. I mean, every culture of the world has prayer. Every culture of the world, um, you know, has some of these ancient ancient practices of intention and, and belief, and we just, we have to remember how to use them. And so it's my honor and it's my privilege now to work with people, and I work individually, and I, I also work with groups. I was just at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck. It's such a beautiful, beautiful facility, um, living well with Lyme disease with Dr. Horowitz and Dr. Tom Francis Scott. We had a beautiful weekend there helping people um, gain ground with this illness and I was, it was my honor to lead the, the breakout session in, in the spiritual side of the illness. So I've come a long way and I've learned so much. And that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It sure is. I think that my passage through Lyme disease, it was a 10-year journey. Um, I think a lot of people will relate to this. Um, my passage um, stripped me down to bare bones. I came to understand that I am not the external image that the American culture um, asks us to embody. Um, I think it's wonderful to get an education. It's wonderful to strive for success and to um, have a home and create security and sanctuary for you and your family. Those are very, very, very valuable pieces. But, you know, we push very hard in this culture to amass and to achieve totems of success, emblems whether it's an IRA or a fancy car or a house in a certain neighborhood or a certain job title. And um, we push ourselves very hard to achieve those emblems of success. And they got stripped from me, and I got stripped down to, to my very, very, very core self, and it was scary in there. Um, it was scary to not be identified with being a homeopath or a wife or, um, to have a home or, you know, all of those pieces. And so this journey through Lyme disease, it, it's very much, I think, akin to Persephone's journey to the underworld, right. um, where you face your, your scariest moments, your demons, the things that frighten you and each, they're unique for each of us. Um, each of our, our scary places, right? Right. Um, they're very, either we, we visit those scary places and, um, this bacteria is, is a very dark energy form. It's very despairing. It has suicide attached to it. It, um, has a lot of self-criticism and hatred and anger. It's got a vibration. It is an entity. It is an it organism. Sure is. Yep. And when and when it occupies your body and it takes over your vibration, my playful, um, fun-loving, um, adventurous, uh, Katina spirit got hijacked, and yeah. um, I was the vibration of the Borrelia. I was not the vibration of Katina. And when I was able to, you know move past the organism and reclaim myself again with the help of the antimicrobial herbs and the nutritional work and spiritual healing, 
and I reclaimed my spirit um, yeah. in my own self, I learned that um, this is akin to the pilgrimage quests that people used to walk in centuries past or the vision quests that, you know, indigenous cultures take, um, that this is, a, this is a quest and this is a journey and it's hard. It's harrowing, it's hard, and it doesn't, it, it, it's not for the faith of heart. You have to have great fortitude and you have to really dig deep and you have to ask for help. And the help, it needs to come at all levels. It needs to come from friends and family and from practitioners and from spiritual allies because it's very hard to make this journey alone. Yeah, that's beautiful, beautifully, beautifully said. You've been Thank very you. generous with you. Very welcome. You've been very, very generous with your time. I want to honor that and uh, begin to wrap up here. One thing I have to know: Where does the name Katina come from? Oh, it was my grandmother's name. Um, oh. We're Greek. We're Greek. Um, it's actually a common name in in Greece. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it's a pretty name. It's beautiful. Thank you. And, yeah, and I love I, it. I, I love. Thank you so much. I loved my time with you. I hope I gave your listeners um, some valuable information that they can use in their lives. Yes, and on that note also, I'm sure some people are going to be listening to this, driving their cars or whatever. Can you just tell them how to get hold of you, the titles of your sure. books, what whatever you want yeah. to say? Sure, thank you so much. Um, yes. My website um, is katinamacris.com, and Katina is K-A-T-I-N-A, Macris, M-A-K-R-I-S.com. Or you could also um, just Google my um, book, Out of the Woods, um, and that would probably drive you into my website, too. That's my first book that I wrote, Out of the Woods, Healing Lyme Disease, Body, Mind, and Spirit, which is, as you said, my memoir. It's also a treatment guide regarding Lyme disease. We look at the diagnostics and the different modalities, the antibiotics, the herbals, the homeopathics, the rice technology, et cetera, all the ways that you can reclaim your life from this very difficult disease. It's also available on Audible, which I'm so excited about because so oh, many that's people so cool. are cognitively impaired, and you can go to Amazon and get the audio version and listen to this it's a heartwarming story as you know great story of inspiration and then my new book um that you mentioned is due august 11th um and i'm very excited about this this is uh autoimmune illness and lyme disease recovery mending body mind and spirit right now it's a pre-order on amazon but it'll be at all stores throughout the country um and overseas too, and this book is much what we just highlighted. It shows um, what we need a paradigm shift in our our approach to what is health and what is illness, and I, I help people take power back into their own hands regarding their health and working with their physicians and working with these diseases because there's a lot you can do to help yourself to empower your own inner healer and to empower yes. your own relationship with your your practitioner. So it's a wonderful book to give you a toolbox of skills, both at-home work and um, work that you can use with your practitioner. So I'm, I'm, I'm proud of both of them, and I hope that they reach into the hearts of people in need because on my mission, as you can tell, 
Uh, I'm a healer. I was since I was a little girl. I was the one that took in the stray bunnies and the hurt, you know, rattlesnakes and cats and everybody. <laughs> um, I was your friend in college that you hung out in my bed and we like to talk about all your problems. So um, my my heart is in helping others. So visit my website, katinamacris.com, and there's a lot of information there. My email's there. My radio shows are there and the books and and my speaking engagements, and you can come join me at any of the workshops. Um, I'm all over the place, and we do a lot of healing together. Oh, that's fantastic. Do you have any scheduled uh, book signings or openings to publicize this? Will people be able to meet you out in the world? Yeah. Out in the wild, we, so to speak? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, we do. We've got um, September 2nd, I'm out on Block Island, Rhode Island. Um, September... Um, 13th, I'm in Peterborough, New Hampshire, um, at the Toadstool Bookstore. And then September 19th until 26th, um, out in Oregon, I've got five cities out there, Medford, Bend, Hood River, Portland. I've got a big book tour out there. Then I'm in Northampton, Mass. on October 3rd. And it looks like I'll be out on Nantucket on October 5th. And then I'll be down in the New York City area that following weekend. I think that's the weekend of October 10th. And then um, more to come after that on my schedule. So, but um, yeah, those are some early places that people can come meet me. That's you're amazing. Take your CoQ10. <laughs> yeah, take my CoQ10. Uh, thanks so much for having me on air, and I applaud both of you for your beautiful um, program and helping others. Thanks so much, Katina. You're the inspiration. Oh, very nice of you to say. All right. Have a fabulous weekend. You too. Enjoy the sunshine. Thanks, I am. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Great interview. I really, it was really struck by her recounting of that transition from family traditional medicine over into professional medicine. And it actually... Have you ever seen the Little Women that came out in the 90s, the movie? Can't say that was top of my <laughs> to-do list or watch list. Yeah. Tell well, me about it. There, Well, there was one scene in particular where the... The young one of the younger ones of the four of the four sisters came down with scarlet fever and they're rich neighbors who adored them of course uh brought over their family doctor which was the best of the 1860s that technology and learning so could provide so he brought his leeches with him yeah uh, yeah and what he said after examining this little girl was i can't do anything here you'd better send for Mother March. And who's Mother March? Well, the, basically their mother, who was away visiting their dad. And what had happened is... So was the, hang on one second. So was the doctor saying, look, she's going to die, or you need somebody with kitchen wisdom? The doctor was saying she was going to die, right? Yeah. What, 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 what he said was he couldn't do anything to help her. Right. but And then was he inferring that nobody could do anything? You know what? I always interpret it from my little child brain is I can't do anything, but the mother can. Mama can save me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's how I always interpreted it. Yeah. Cool. 
And then, you know, mom came in and she made everything all better. And how, and how did she do it in the movie? What she said was, I need hot water. We need to bring the fever out of her head. So they gave her heat to kick the fever up to kill off whatever was infection was there so she cooled off. Or something like that. Right. So it's kind of yeah. like going to infrared sauna if you've got Lyme, right? Yeah. <laughs> getting your temperature up, getting a good sweat going, detoxifying. Interesting. Mama was a smart person. Yes, she was. All right. Thanks for sharing that with us, Aurora. If you need a little more Lime Ninja in your life... Visit our website, LimeNinjaRadio.com. There you can find all 50 past episodes. Yes, and we archive all the, sep- all the episodes there, so you can go back and listen to them again and again. The best way to learn, the ninja way to learn, is by repetition. And we're still working on getting those tagged, so you can really do some deeper searches into our archives I promise that's going to happen one of these days. We'll get to it. So if you do hear something you like, you know, you can listen to it several times or if there's a topic that interests you. And I promise if you go back and listen to the podcast more than once, you'll learn something new the second time. When I'm listening to a podcast and something really catches my attention, I'll listen to it two and three times. Okay. On the website, you can also sign up for our Ninja Insider mailing list and pick up the Lime Ninja Brain Fog Protocol as our thank you. But wait, that's not all. Lime Ninja Radio is also on iTunes, Stitcher, Twitter, and Facebook. We're everywhere. Everywhere. Lastly, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with Aurora's Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. Did you know a ninja can squeeze orange juice from a banana? Lime Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.